<laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Right, I'm here. So today I have the lovely Lee Russell back with me. Hi Lee, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, okay, my name is Lee Russell. I write the Geraldine Steele series of crime novels. Uh, we've just um, published the 17th book in the series. Um, the 18th is with my editor at the moment and I'm currently writing the 19th in the series. So um, I'll have to stop and have a little think if you want to ask me about the book that's just come out. Uh, I did make a few notes actually, because I suddenly thought, if you ask me about the book, and at the moment I've got the 19th one in my head, because that's the one that I'm writing. And I think, is the 17th one that's just come out? Is it this one or that one? But um, anyway, the, the series has been uh, going from strength to strength really. Uh, first book came out, I think in 2000, around 2008, and um, we've been building buildings since then. And they are set in the UK and they're murder investigations with my detective, Geraldine Steele. So that's, um, that's my best known series. Um, I've also written a trilogy for Geraldine's Sergeant, Ian Peterson. And I've written a trilogy for a, a kind of international um, investigator really, uh, which was great fun to write, um, set in Seychelles, and Paris and Rome. So there was a lot of research to do there and a lot of travel. And um, what else have I written? I've also had a dystopian novel published and uh, I've also written a historical novel, um, which I'm rather proud of. It took me three years to research and originally it was actually a trilogy and I got so fascinated by all the historical research that I wrote pages and pages and pages about what I'd read about. And I then had to condense what I'd written into one novel before anybody would publish it. Because it was, uh, um, I mean, as my publisher said, you're not writing a history textbook here, you're writing a novel and people want to follow the story. Um, so it's all been a very steep learning curve for me, really. I, I've, um, I've now had 27 books um, professionally edited and so I now um, run some little writing courses myself, trying to pass on some of the things that I've learnt. And um, I, I do sometimes um, do critiques of other people's manuscripts because having been edited so many times myself, I know what to look out for in other people's work, not in my own work. I still need an editor for my books, but it's great fun reading other people's books and seeing, you can see what they're trying to do and you can see why they're not quite getting there and help people to, to do what needs to be done to hopefully improve their books. So my life is basically all about writing and reading and it keeps me busy. Um, I, I've, over Christmas, I went on a bit of an Agatha Christie reading binge. I've never been a great fan of Agatha Christie, but um, I started reading one, uh, I think it was, Hercule Poirot's Christmas or something like that. And um, absolutely loved it. And so I then read two or three more. And I'm now reading Graham Greene as a complete contrast because I don't know about you, Donna, but I find that I, um, I go through sort of phases in my reading and I might want to read something very light and entertaining. And then I need to turn to something a bit more kind of powerful and darker for a while. And then I want something light again. 
So um, Graham Greene, The Power and the Glory, is a complete contrast to Agatha Christie. Wonderful, wonderful writer. Um, and before the Agatha Christie, I was reading Ernest Hemingway, who's, um, again, quite sort of dark and, and powerful. So, uh, yeah, that's my kind of reading. And I'm writing the next Geraldine. And um, that's me, really, and where I am. I probably missed out a lot, but uh, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm also, um, at the end of February, I'll, I'll, um, the Crime Writers Association debut dagger competition closes. And a couple of months after that, um, we'll be getting the long listed um, entries. I chair the judges for the debut dagger. So I'll be looking at those. And I'm also a consultant fellow for the Royal Literary Fund. Again, helping people, but not writers, but um, people in professions, people in the NHS, whatever, whoever wants some help with their writing. So I do that for an hour or two a week. So it keeps me busy, really. When I, when I list everything that I do, I kind of think, how do I have time to do all this? <laughs> Like, so people ask that of me as well but you just do don't you, you especially do. if you enjoy it yeah yes one thing after another and I'm a great list writer I write lists so I have lists of what I have to do and my husband laughs at me because I'll write down things that I'm going to do anyway like stack the dishwasher but then I can tick it off and I love ticking things off on lists because then it makes me feel like yeah I've done something so um yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, someone said to me the other day about my interviews. I'm like, that, that list isn't for everyone else. That list is for me. <laughs> if I didn't have that list, I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think um, that's that you have your kind of thinking time, don't you? And you sit down and you think and you list all the things that you're going to do. And then you just go through and do them. And then you need some thinking time again to think and plan what you're going to do. And of course, some things that I have on my list just get shifted forward. So I'll put something in my calendar and then I'll forward it for a day, forward it for a week and eventually might get around to doing it or might just delete it in the end because I'm never going to do it. So I'm not, uh, I don't always get things done. <laughs> but I think we tend to do the things we have to do. And as you said, we do the things we want to do. So it's, it's lovely being here today chatting with you. Yeah, I was looking forward to it as well. And you're my first interview of the year as well. So kicking off my year with one of my favourite people. <laughs> um, I think when we last spoke, you just released your dystopian novel. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the historical one, which I loved, as you know, and was on my top list of the year? I know, thank you so much. Um, yes, um, this was inspired actually on a trip to Venice when um, we heard, about, we, we visited the, the Jewish ghetto in Venice, and which is one of the kind of sites now in Venice. And um, we heard about the burning of all the holy Jewish books in um, the 16th century during the Renaissance. And this occurred, I can't remember the exact date now, I used to have all this at my fingertips, but this occurred at the time when Venice was becoming one of the centers of printing in the world. And it just struck me as being such a, a bizarre and kind of poignant juxtaposition that at the same time that printing was really taking off. And I think in some ways printing probably 
had a bigger impact on humanity and human life, even than the internet. Because for the first time, people were able to read things for themselves. And so with that came the growth of literacy and the potential for universal education with, it, with its potential, which hasn't really been achieved at all and hopefully will be one day, but the potential for humans understanding so that we can all understand different cultures and different religions and, and so on. And so while all of that was, was emerging, at the same time, the Inquisition, the Catholic Church, was burning um, the, the, all the books of a, a race, really, the Jews, who were a literate community, because all the boys, all Jewish boys, have to have their bar mitzvah when they're 13, which means they have to read from the Holy Scroll. And all the girls were taught to read as well. There were some of the first poets were Jewish girls because they were literate. And so it just seemed just so, as I say, so poignant that at that time in history, there was the emergence of printing and universal literary literacy was beginning. And at the same time, books were being burnt. So um, I started reading about the period and it's a fascinating period because um, it was a time when um, Islam was growing and the, um, the Muslim empire was expanding and the Catholic church felt very much under threat. And of course there was the um, emergence of Protestantism and then um, you know, Henry VIII came along and set up his own church and so on. So the Catholic church, then um, implemented their inquisition where they were basically attacking anybody who wasn't a Catholic. And so a lot of women were burnt as witches. There was the, what was called the witch craze in Europe, particularly with single women because they were sort of easy victims, weren't they really? And gypsies and Jews because they were a small um, community. You know, all of these um, relatively powerless communities were just being attacked and there were pogroms at that time. So there was just so much going on. It was absolutely fascinating. So that was really what inspired um, my book. But the book itself, as you know, it follows the story of one girl into womanhood and she travels and is, is looking for safety, security, happiness, love. I mean, as she was looking for what we all look for really in life. And it was quite a challenge for me to write in the voice of a woman who is living some 400 years ago. But I, I wrote somewhere that I like to think that our common humanity kind of reaches out across the centuries because yes, she, she had a very, very different life experience to me. For her, God was a living God. He was ever present. She believed in witches. She was superstitious. A lot of things that are completely alien to me and my experience but she was still a human being. And I tried to imagine what life would be like for her. I mean, how successful that was, I don't know, but um, I'm very proud of that book because it, it took a lot of research and it was a complete departure from my other writing because uh, my Geraldine Steele novels are contemporary crime novels. And um, my dystopian novel was not contemporary, obviously it's set a bit in the future but um, that I could 
kind of make up really. Uh, but um, a historical novel, I mean, it was just so interesting. I wish I'd studied history um, because there's just so many amazing stories that I came across. So yeah, that was uh, Abigail of Venice and I'm rather proud of that book. Yeah, you should be. And like I say, it was in my top, well, what turned out to be top 12 in 2021, but yeah, it was just beautiful um, and amazing, uh, totally gripped. So that is such a compliment because I know how much you read and to select one of my books to be in your top 10 or 12 is a huge compliment. The only non-crime book as well, if, if I remember correctly. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it, it is and it isn't crime because yeah. <laughs> when you write about people, unless you're writing, um, you know, things like Jane Austen or, you know, light-hearted romance, there's always going to be some crime, isn't there? And although it's not a crime novel, there is crime in the novel. There's crime against a community. A whole community is 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 um, massacred. There's uh, crimes against my protagonist because um, she is physically abused. And um, I'm sure there must be the odd murder in there as well somewhere. <laughs> I'm not gonna give too much away. <laughs> Um, did you get, what about the feedback for that book? Did you get different sort of feedback from it when you're Geraldine still? Um, yes, I was actually very pleased with the feedback because it, as I said, it is a complete departure from my crime novels. And I did wonder if, uh, if readers might um, think, well, no, this is not Geraldine still, we didn't enjoy this. But no, actually the, all the feedback that I had was very, very positive. It didn't have um, much promotion, um, unfortunately. It just didn't happen um, at the time my publisher was being taken over by somebody else. And, you know, it just kind of fell through so many cracks. Um, but um, the actual feedback that I had from readers, like yourself, has been really positive. And um, I'd love to do something else like that, but it is quite time consuming. As I said, I spent three years, I wrote, um, I wrote about something like 125,000 words, or was it 230,000 words? I can't even remember, remember now. It had to be reduced to about 90,000 words um, into a, a novel. So there was a lot, but I mean, that was in a way was not a bad thing because I, I knew so much about the period by the time the book was actually written. And it was very, very carefully researched. I mean, all, all the details, the clothes, the food, the way people behaved. And um, I, I included my bibliography at the end of the book. I asked my publisher to include it because I just thought, wow, this looks, this looks pretty impressive, doesn't it? I think there's over 90 books there and plus websites and so on. But um, I think when you're writing a historical novel, you do want to get the details right, don't you? Because it makes it seem more authentic. And also there will be readers who know about these things and it's, you're kind of shortchanging them if you don't put in the effort to get things right. But I loved it, I really enjoyed it. Um, do you still have that passion when you write Geraldine? Um, yes, I do. It's great, I love it, it's, it's fun. Um, it's a different sort of pressure in a way writing Geraldine because um, 
I now have to really try and make each book slightly different. Um, otherwise it just becomes a bit, you know, of a formula, doesn't it? And I don't want to do that. And I want to sort of surprise my readers. And in fact, I was very pleased that my editor said when I got to about book 15, I think, and she's, one of her comments was, wow, you can still shock me after all these books. And I thought, yes, that's great. Um, so I try and do different things. And sometimes it works better than other times. And sometimes I think I've really nailed it. And then reviewers are not so impressed. And other times I think, mm, I don't know that that one works quite so well. And then it gets fantastic reviews. So it's, it's very difficult to, um, you can't please everybody. And I just sort of do my best. But yes, I'm still very excited. It, 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 there's a, a real excitement about sitting down with a blank page. What am I going to do? But it's with Geraldine, it's, um, it's slightly different to, uh, say, my dystopian or my historical novel, because I have a, a deadline. I'm contracted to write these books. I have to write them. Um, but I think that kind of pressure of knowing that I have to get the book written, I find that very motivating. I always have done. And maybe one day I won't, but at the moment I find it very motivating. I know I have to just get on and do it. It's a bit like what we were talking about earlier. You know, we, we write lists of things we have to do and then you go through and you tick things off the list. If something's not on my list, I won't do it. So it, if I have to write a Geraldine Steele, I sit down and I get on with it and somehow it works. And um, Stephen King said that um, amateurs sit around and wait for inspiration and professional writers just, I can't, I'm paraphrasing, just get on with it, get on with the job. And that's what I do. But um, it's, it's exciting in a different kind of way uh, when I write a book that I'm not contracted to write because, I mean, in the back of my mind, there's always the thought that I might put in all this effort and the book might never be published. So do I really want to, you know, pour out my heart and soul and put in so much time and effort and nobody might ever read it. And I have done that, that has happened. Um, I've written another dystopian novel, which um, is, which I, I'm, I mean, I, I really like it. I like both my his dystopian novels, um, but my second one is with my agent and he's been pitching it. So far, nobody has, has wanted it. So that will probably never be published. Um, I wrote um, what I thought was a humorous novel and uh, nobody has wanted to publish that so far. Um, so it happens, but we keep writing, don't we? We have to keep writing. And I'm more kind of scared in a way about what I'm gonna do when the Geraldine Steele series finishes, because at the moment I've always got another Geraldine to write. I'm currently writing the 19th. And I think we, well, I'm contracted to write 20 books. But once we get up to book 20, then I'll have the discussion with my publisher, do we want to carry on or not? And it may be that I'll feel, I don't really want to carry on anymore. I've gone as far as I can with Geraldine, but that will that takes us up to 2023. And then I'm thinking, but then what am I gonna do? Because Geraldine has been with me for so long. I've been writing the Geraldine books for, um, about uh, 12 years, 13 years, I can't even remember. And um, 
what am I going to do? There's like this sort of big void in a way, almost like losing somebody, like a death. Um, But I've got another series in the pipeline with my publisher, which is quite different. So um, hopefully that will um, take off as Geraldine did, who knows? And when I say take off, I'm not talking about, I'm gonna make big bucks, I'm gonna be a household name. I'm talking about my publisher will want to carry on publishing them so I can keep writing them. So um, who knows? I I just want to keep writing really. I I cannot imagine my life without writing. I have gone in different directions now. I do do some work supporting other writers as much as I can, doing critiques, teaching, but I can't imagine my life without writing. But it may be that one day I'll stop and then I'll just read all the time like I used to before I started writing. Who knows? Yeah, get through that TBR. <laughs> so like we said earlier, you know, you can't, you can't look into the future, can you? And you, you don't really know how you're going to be feeling tomorrow, let alone what's going to be going on. I mean, I might wake up tomorrow, you might wake up tomorrow with an absolute brilliant idea for a book and start writing it. It happens sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) But that's part of the fun of it in a way, isn't it, I think? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you have an end point for Geraldine Plan? Do you know how you're going to finish the series? Um, Well, I do, but it's changed a bit as I've gone along. Um, I mean, my end point was going to be at one point, my end point was going to be that um, Geraldine and her sergeant, Ian Peterson, um, end up sort of hand in hand, you know. Um, But um, so many readers were saying, when are they going to get together? Can they not get together already? This is dragging off too long. So um, they are now together. So that can't be the end point. I have got another end point in mind now but I haven't quite decided what it's going to be. I don't know whether I want to end on a really high note or whether I want to end on a pretty dark note. And to be honest, I think it will depend on how I'm feeling when I come to write the 20th book in the series. If I'm feeling really miserable and depressed, that oh, this is the end of an era, it's the last book in a 20 book series, then uh, I might do something quite, um, you know, dark as I say but um, I might not I don't know I haven't decided yet and I don't really I know one is supposed to when you're writing a series you're supposed to plan it all out in advance and have everything carefully planned but I I don't really work like that and to some extent I will just start and see what happens and that's what I do I, I I start with an idea and then I just see what happens and generally it works out And for me, that's part of the fun of it, really. And I do think if you're not going to have fun with the writing and enjoy it and love what you're doing, then in the nicest way, do something else because writing is hard work and um, you've got to love it. You've got to love what you do. But I think we need stories. I think we need fiction. I think particularly over the last couple of years when The world has been such a depressing place, really, hasn't it? But we don't have to stay in this world, do we? We can step into another world and just, you know, have a holiday from reality, really. And I I think we all need that sometimes. Even if we are reading about people murdering other people. (laughs) 
yes i know i know but um, yes, but it works <laughs> it works doesn't it it takes us into a different world yes and we don't have to read about people murdering other people i mean there are authors like say like jane austen and lots of you know light-hearted authors and pg woodhouse is it doesn't write about people murdering each other but um yeah i think uh, it's quite cathartic in a way isn't it to read about uh, about murders you know you and you, you come away from it thinking, yeah, okay, maybe I'm not quite as angry with that person as I thought I was. Maybe, you know, it could be worse, couldn't it? I'm still here. <laughs> um, one of my fun new questions I've started asking people is if you were to be a murderer fictionally, how would you kill your victims? Um, well, I've explored any number of different ways in my books. Um, and the difficulty with writing about murder in fiction is not the actual murder. That, that in itself is easy, you know, talking about fiction, that is easy. And in, in the real world, um, most murderers are caught very quickly because a man loses his temper in his front room and kills his girlfriend or whatever. I mean, um, you can't do that in a book. In a book, you have to make it difficult for the detectives to find out who committed the murder. It has to be difficult enough that the investigation takes a whole book before the police find the killer. At the same time, you don't want your detective to seem like a complete moron. So where, okay, you kill somebody, fine. You just stick a knife in them, you strangle them, smother them, whatever you do. But how does the killer then dispose of the body somewhere that is not going to be traced back to the killer? Or how does the killer take the murder victim somewhere without leaving any DNA in their car and kill them somewhere away from their home where nothing can be traced back to the killer? It's quite difficult. And I mean, as um, forensic science becomes more and more sophisticated, it becomes more and more difficult because you can now walk into a room and breathe and a, a forensic scientist can identify your ethnicity, your gender, your age, you know, all sorts of things about just from the fact that you've breathed in a room. So we've come a long way from murderers needing to wear gloves so they don't need leave any fingerprints. Um, I mean, we still need them to do that in our books, of course, but it's quite tricky. So how would I kill somebody, I think is not the most challenging question, because that would be easy if you think about it, if you could get hold of a gun, if you could get hold of a sharp knife, whatever, push somebody off a cliff, I mean. Um, but the question is, how do you kill somebody in such a way that you don't get caught for about 40 chapters? <laughs> But, uh, but um, I mean, they say poison is a woman's um, choice, isn't it? I, I don't know. I mean, I've never actually, um, I've never really wanted to kill anybody. Um, I've been angry with a lot of people and I'm not always a particularly nice person, but I've never really wanted to kill anybody. So I think um, there's always another way, isn't there? Just walk away. Just even, you know, give them a mouthful and then walk away, whatever. To actually kill somebody, to me, is an act of insanity. And some people are just insane 
to begin with and they can kill people. I mean, there are psychopaths who will kill somebody as easily as I might kill a, a wasp. I don't like wasps. But um, I think, um, is it something any one of us could do? Yes, I think it is. If somebody was threatening my life or threatening the life of a member of my family, and if I had the means with which to kill them, which I probably wouldn't have because I wouldn't know how to use a gun. And, but if, if it was sort of me or them, or if it was a member of my family or them, or a small child or them, whatever, yeah, I, I think I would be temporarily sufficiently insane to kill somebody. And who knows what we might do if we're sufficiently terrified. So, uh, um, but I've never really thought about it. I, I've thought about it in terms of my fiction. You know, this character is gonna kill this character, how are they gonna do it and get away with it? And that's more of a, it's more of a kind of puzzle really than an actual thinking about killing somebody. Yeah. Um, and if you were... A question. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, if you were found murdered, fictionally or hypothetically, which detective would you like to investigate? Oh, goodness. <laughs> it would be quite fun to have Sherlock Holmes investigate because he wouldn't know what on earth was going on these days with him and all the, all the forensics. Um, who, would, who would I like to investigate? Um, hmm. I mean, there are so many to choose from, aren't there? Um, I honestly don't know. Um, that's not something I've ever thought about. And to some extent, once I was dead, it wouldn't matter really, would it? Unless I was able to sort of watch from afar somehow. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe, I mean, any fictional detective really, because they always get their man, don't they? Yeah. I find it interesting when I ask that one person has said their own detective, everyone else has said someone else. Sherlock Holmes being quite popular, one person's like, well, of course I want my own detective to investigate my murder. Yeah, I mean, I thought the same, Geraldine's a little bit. Um, and, and of course, if I was dead, I wouldn't be able to write her story to investigate my murder, would I? Somebody else would have to write it. At least it'd definitely be solved. <laughs> But most murders are, most murders are, um, occasionally they're not. And I think that must be awful to not have that sense of closure. I remember talking to somebody who, um, he said there had been a murder in his family. And he said the family never talk about it. They never spoke about it. They cannot talk about it. And he said that family member was killed in the 1950s and they just still can't talk about it. I mean, I, I was gonna say, I can't imagine. I mean, I try to imagine from my books what it would be like to lose somebody in that way. I mean, we all know, don't we, that when somebody you love dies, they, you lose a part of your life. Your life is never the same again, is it? It's an irreplaceable, irredeemable loss. But I think to lose somebody so kind of senselessly in a violent attack must be so difficult to deal with, so difficult. And then, I mean, at least, I mean, it doesn't make any difference and it doesn't help anything, but at least if the killer is 
punished, you might feel some sense that, um, you know, there was still some kind of moral order and, and, and some, um, some closure maybe. But if the killer's never caught, you know, just the thought that somebody has taken away somebody I love and they're just walking around and got off scot-free, that must be absolutely terrible, really. But this murder that took place in the 1950s, that was one where the killer was never found, the killer was never caught, and they just can't talk about it all this time later, you know, 70 years later. Just uh, terrible, isn't it? Terrible things that go on, really. But then we write about them, as you say, in fiction. I think it's a way of working through our fears about it all, really, isn't it? And working through our anger and our bewilderment, really, that, that such things can happen. They do happen. Yeah, and I suppose in fiction, generally, the bad guy's caught. So there's some kind of sense of finality and, you know, that all the bad guys get caught, even though we know that's not necessarily the case. At least if we read about it, then they do. Yes, yes. And it, and it, it's kind of a bit reassuring, isn't it? That, um, and I think perhaps as um, religion plays less of a role in many people's lives, um, crime fiction does give us that kind of moral compass, doesn't it? That yes, there is somebody on the side of justice and right, and somebody who is on the, the wrong side, whether they're evil people or damaged people, whatever, however we judge them or don't judge them. Um, there, is a, there is right and wrong, isn't there? And our detectives, detectives are battling against, battling against evil evil in the world really it's goodies and baddies isn't it goodies and baddies and the goodies win and in real life the goodies don't always win do they badly not <laughs> we need we need them to so we get that um that sense from fiction yes which is another you know it's one reason why crime fiction i think is so popular i mean there's so many reasons i could talk about it endlessly but um it's one reason i think why crime fiction is so popular yes um, so, Geraldine, it was released yesterday. <laughs> Do you know what it's about? Do you remember which? <laughs> <laughs> the ebook came out. Yeah, I'll just get my notes. Um, they're in here somewhere. The ebook came, um, e came out yesterday. Um, the print book is out on the 20th. And um, yeah, so one of the things, main thing really that interests me when I'm writing Geraldine Steele is my killers, what's going on there, the psyche of the killer. And um, so I've mentioned earlier, I, I try to do slightly different things in my books and it's quite tricky sometimes to come up with things. But um, so Geraldine Steele number 17 called Guilt Edged, spelt G-U-I-L-T, uh, Guilt Edged. Um, it begins with a, an apparently random murder. The murder victim is selected apparently at random and the killer's motivation for this murder is not made apparent for a while which makes it trickier for my detectives, for Geraldine Steele, because an apparently motiveless murder is much more difficult to solve. You know, if two people have just had a real argument and then one of them gets killed then the other one is going to be a suspect. But here, who is the suspect? So that's a bit of a puzzle for Geraldine. 
Um, and um, I had to be very careful, as always, with the, the timings. Um, for example, two cyclists go into the woods and it's possible that one is actually following the other. But then uh, they're seen on CCTV and then after a while, only one of them emerges. So was the one who emerges the killer or not? We don't know. Um, and um, so I don't want to say too much more about it. You have to read it to find out. But um, I, I, was, I was quite pleased with this one. I thought the plot actually worked out quite neatly. And um, I got very involved in the characters. And so, yeah, I mean, in the end, the killer probably gets caught. I mean, of course he does, but. <laughs> Caroline, of course he does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's sort of tempting in a way for the 20th book, you were asking how we're we gonna finish, to sort of have the killer kill Geraldine and that's the end of the series, but no, I can't do that. And um, I, I don't think she could die anyway, because there always has to be possibility that she might come back at some point. Um, but uh, she's getting a bit long in the tooth. And somebody said I could do a prequel. I think there's quite an interest in that, but then I would have to do quite a lot of research into um, early you know, policing back in at that time. And so I, I might do that, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, at least if you did the 20th and ended it and you weren't quite done, then it's an option. You could go back. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. But I think, yeah, we'll probably finish it, but maybe not. Maybe my publisher will say, oh, come on, let's just do three more. Let's just do four more. And it might be that I'll be, oh, what am I going to do now that I've finished writing Geraldine? So, okay, let's do some more. But um, we shall have to see. <laughs> to leave it on the cliffhanger anyway, just to leave us all hanging. <laughs> well, get loads of hopefully we'll be chatting again when number 18 and 19 and 20 come out, and then we might... Uh, get closer to, a, to an idea of what's gonna happen. Um, I mean, if you have any ideas about how you think the series could end after 20 books, let me know. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember where I'm up to in this series, actually I have to catch up. Yeah. Or if anybody listening to this interview has any great ideas about how I could finish the series, let me know. Let me know privately so that everybody else doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, I can't think of any more questions for you unless you think there's anything else that you want to mention. Um, well, I don't know if you want to say anything about your writing, how you're getting on. Um, I, well, hopefully um, have uh, a publisher for my horror novella. So um, I shall be working on that and passing that over. And then I'm going to try and finish my NaNoWriMo project um soon and edit that and then I'm going to try and pitch that to publishers I think is that also horror or no that's crime crime yeah it's very exciting isn't it how long is your novella um it's 33,000 words okay, perfect yeah wow and it's it's horror yeah mm. so yeah that's that's been fun but the crime was more fun I think that's my thing um and I've loved writing that. Um, I quite enjoyed killing someone um, that is in my mind someone from my past. So. <laughs> well, yes, I mean you can, you can do that kind of crime. You can you can kill people that you know. Just change their name and yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so yeah, he suffered quite badly. <laughs> so if you kill some woman with messy hair who always wears purple and talks too much in one of your books, <laughs> I'm like, hmm, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> you'd be the heroine, don't worry, you'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Although I was weirdly a sex crazed uh, politician in someone's book, so <laughs> there's no saying, apparently. In another life. <laughs> or maybe you've just been keeping that very quiet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where I'd find the time, to be honest. <laughs> I do need to sleep occasionally. <laughs> okay. Oh, I shall, I shall let you have some time to get on with things then that are on your list. I've got a few emails I need to deal with. And um, it's been lovely chatting, really. And I'm going to look forward to reading your horror novella. Yeah, I'm going to be really nervous. <laughs> but thank you. 